If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to warmly welcome you. We're working our way just in this summer time through various psalms, and so it's wonderful to have you join us this morning. It is a privilege to gather around once again the Word of God, and we do so, as you hear me say so often, we do so as an act of worship, and as an act of worship, it requires our undivided attention. We're determined to listen well. I mean, this is expository preaching and there's expository listening where we strive to live out what we hear, what we preach, to whom much is given, much is required. And as we go through the Psalms, we see the very heartbeat and the very heart of God and what He longs for from His people. And that is, as a result of our affection for God, where we love Him, where we want to learn all the more about Him and get to know Him, we then, each and every time we gather to worship, we anticipate with eagerness what He would have for us in this holy hour, this worship in the Word. And we continue now in our second summer in the Psalms. And I want to draw your hearts and minds this morning to Psalm 100. In preparation for this summer, I read through the Psalms over a few months, praying and reading through them and asking the Lord to bless these Psalms to our hearts and minds as we work through them. And I simply created a a list for us to work through. And it's not until we unfold each one that we see their significance fully. And we've been doing that as we've gone along this summer. So we're really just working our way through that list there. And we find ourselves, as I said, in Psalm 100. And so let's read that together and then pray. Psalm 100, a psalm for thanksgiving. Verse 1, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we come now to your holy, inspired, inerrant, and sufficient and authoritative word. Lord, we know that this is how you speak to us, your people. And so we thank you for the privilege it is to be in your word this morning. Lord, thank you for these people that sit before me. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them as we spend time in this psalm. Father, would you give me a clarity of mind, a clarity of mouth, a wisdom, an unction from on high. Lord, would this be a a pivotal time in in our life. And so we thank you for the privilege. We've sung your praises now, Lord, and we want to sit under your word and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had somebody do something very special for you? Either yourself or your family? I trust that you have. I know that I have. I know that we have as a family. And after you've experienced that blessing given to you, you often have this overwhelming desire to show appreciation. Now, sometimes those who bless you don't want any acknowledgement at all in return. They just want you to enjoy 
the blessing, but the reality is a showing of appreciation is what you want to do. You never want to be ungrateful. You should never want to appear to be ungrateful. And so you begin to think, uh, what's something that I can do that will show appreciation? You've been on the receiving end and now you want to show gratitude for what you have received. And if it is our longing to show gratitude in our horizontal relationships with our fellow man, how much greater should our longing to show gratitude for our vertical relationship with God be? We saw last Sunday in Psalm 103 that praise is a component of worship which stems from being occupied with God. Well, Psalm 100, this Sunday, reveals yet another, another element of worship, where we see that as a result of being on the receiving end of God's abundant and overwhelming and utterly undeserved favor, that is His grace, the only proper and the only fitting response is abounding joy as we live as joyful worshippers. Abounding joyful worship. That's how we show appreciation and adoration for all that God is to us and for all that He has blessed us with. As we work our way through these Psalms, I'm always incredibly indebted by the various men who've gone before us in times past. And I lean on them as I tell you, and with this psalm, it was James Montgomery Boyce who I was able to draw much from as we've gone through here. And just so incredibly blessed to these men. And I was talking to another man this week that I've been incredibly blessed by, a pastor friend the other day. And he was sharing with me some of the discouragements of his life and of his ministry. And I, and I as I was listening to those, I said to him in the midst of the conversation that what is an ever-present reality in Christian life and, and particularly Christian pastoral ministry is seeing firsthand the battle for joy that goes on in the hearts of the Lord's people. And that as a pastor, while certainly not immune ourselves, we spend a lot of time, whether it's in discipleship settings or pastoral visits in the home or the hospital or from the pulpit or wherever it may be, we spend a bulk of our time calling people who live in a world that wants to steal and kill and destroy and drag away their joy. We spend a lot of our time telling people to instead behold the greatness and goodness of God. And that true and lasting joy comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I think that's what makes Psalm 100 so great. I think that's why we need it so much. Because it is a clarion call to an unwavering commitment, even in the midst of life's lows and life's pains and life's hurts, to joyful thanksgiving. In fact, it is the only psalm in the entire Psalter that is referred to as such, as we read in the superscription, those little words that are indeed inspired, a psalm for thanksgiving. 
And when you think about it, as a people who were once spiritually dead and without God, but have now been made alive, spiritually alive by God and now have peace with God and are partakers of union with Christ, we have much to rejoice over and much to be thankful for. And one of the ways we express that gratitude is by joy. Joy as we serve Him with our lives. And serving Him takes work. And it was A.W. Tozer who said, quote, God wants worshippers before workers. Indeed, the only acceptable workers, Tozer says, are those who have learned the art of worship, end quote. And part of the art of worship is joy. Joy. And Psalm 100 helps us grasp this very idea of being a joyful worshiper. That we can live as joyful worshippers. So with that said, I want you to see first, in verses 1 and 2, a call to worship. This is how the psalmist opens this psalm with a call to worship. Look in your Bibles, verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Psalms 93 to 100 are a group of psalms referred to as the theocratic psalms or the enthronement psalms. Why? Because they rejoice in God's rule and reign. And it's here in the opening two verses that the psalmist here is summoning every heart to worship God with joy. This is something that's also included in those other enthronement psalms leading up to this climactic crescendo of conclusion that is Psalm 100. Look back at Psalm 95 with me for a moment. Psalm 95 and look at verses 1 through 3. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Look at, look at verse, look at Psalm 96 verse one, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord, all the earth, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Look at Psalm 97. Verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many islands be glad. Look at Psalm 98, verse 4, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth, break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the King Yahweh. There really is a collective sense 
in the Psalms leading up to Psalm 100 and also in Psalm 100 itself, where when we come together as the Lord's people, we are to do so with joy. And we express that joy by singing. Just as the call to worship, that chorus goes, bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. And when joy is a reality in the heart of the worshiper, then song will be the melody coming forth from the mouth of the worshiper. And the approach to God will be one of resounding joy. But what we must not dare do at this point, for there is great danger in doing so, is to say the goal of worship is joy, which it is, and then provide no means to attaining that joy. Because it's one thing to simply say, hey, Christian, be joyful. Solely as a command. Without the means to living out that command. There's great danger in preaching. There's great danger in the Christian life. If everything is just imperative. Meaning that if everything is just do this. And there's no indicative, meaning this is why you can do this. You see, the goal is to be joyful, but we mustn't and we can't simply solely say to ourselves or to another, in the midst of sadness and sullenness, hey, be joyful. God is sovereign. Be joyful. You might say, well, that's what the Bible says. It says, be joyful, rejoice always. Well, it does. And that is an imperative, that is a command, but it comes in chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Philippians and the first three chapters are filled with the realities of who we are in Christ, meaning how we can live that way. You see, to live like Christ, he was a man who was acquainted with sorrow and grief, but whose joy was to do the will of Him who sent Him. That's what Paul says after everything he says prior there in Philippians. He says, finally, finally, my beloved brethren, rejoice always. So this psalm opens with a call to worship. That's the goal. The goal is to be a joyful worshiper, both as we gather corporately and both as we scatter throughout the week, to be joyful worshipers, to live and move and have our being with a residing and abiding joy. That's the goal. Well, now the psalmist shows us the how next, and that's what I want you to see next. I want you to see in verse three, the means of joyful worship. That is the means, how it is that you appropriate joy. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. Know that the Lord himself is God. In order to have joy and to be joyful worshipers, we must know our God. We must know our God. Here is that principle again that you've heard from me, and you need to write this on the doorposts of your heart. It's this, When we learn about God, when we increase in our knowledge about God, that then inflames our affections for God. And when our affections are inflamed for God, we then want to 
live for him because our wills are then driven to live for God. To live for God as joyful, obedient worshippers. We see here in verse 3, the means to joy. I want you to take note that these means to joy, how it is that you appropriate joy, is not some mystical experience where you get all warm and fuzzy through some fleeting feeling that you've been manipulated into by repetitive chorus and circus lights and the like. No, instead, this means to joy comes from intelligent, intellectual awareness of who God is. You see, in order to joyfully adore God, you must comprehend God. You remember in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, he was in Athens making his way through the city there, and he was walking about the place and literally grieved by the amount of idolatry that was going on there in Athens. And he was making his way up to a certain marble platform called Mars Hill. And up there was a bunch of philosophers, the Stoics and the Epicureans. And all they did was tell others or listen to things that were new. That's all they did. And then along comes Paul. And he says to them, I want to talk to you about that unknown God that you talk about. That unknown God that you have a memorial for. Paul says, well, I know him. And sit down, I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to tell you about the greatest gift that he gave to the world, his only begotten son. And that unless you turn away from your sin, you will perish But all those that believe in this son that was given, the Lord Jesus Christ, will live forever. You see, those philosophers up on Mars Hill, they had no true and lasting joy. And so as to not upset any deity or risk missing out on any blessing from any deity, they made this memorial there to an unknown God that they would attempt to worship But they had no true worship. Why? Because they had no true joy. Why? Because they had no true knowledge of the one true and living God. And so, what does God want us to know? In order to live as joyful worshippers. What are the prerequisites to joy? Well, the psalmist here in verse 3 gives us three primary means. I want to show you those. Number one, we need to know that God is the sovereign creator. Look at the middle of verse three. It is he who made us. We need to, number one, know that God is the sovereign creator. Now, look at the rest of verse three. It says, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. And depending on your translation, it may say, and we are his Or it may say, if you've got the NASB, which I want to encourage you all to to have, it may say, and we, and not we ourselves. And we are his, or and not we ourselves. The reason for this is because, interestingly enough, that in Hebrew, the word for not, N-O-T, and the word for his sound exactly the same. It's a little bit like, The word allowed, you're allowed to, or the word allowed, Johnny spoke aloud. 
But I want you to know, Dr. Barak says, <laughs> there is far greater support in the various ancient texts for the rendering to be and not we ourselves. So it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Yet, regardless of whatever rendering you take, the point remains the same. God made us. We had no part in it. Now, I want you to know that this is not talking about all people without exception. Because this is not talking about people made in the image of God, all people. This is talking about the Lord's people. Those who have become, that He has made His people by grace through faith. This is saying, without equivocation, that God chooses His people solely by grace and not based upon anything that we do. He is the sovereign God who made His children. He made us His children. Not from our choosing, not from our effort, but solely by His grace. What joy, what joy fills the heart to know this truth. What a truth that brings you low in heart, for it is so very humbling, yet high in praise, for it is so very glorious. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. How great is His grace toward me, you can say, that I was lost in a sea of sin and a rebel to His ways, but He created in me a clean heart and put a new spirit within me that I might walk in His ways. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says, by His grace I am what I am. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31 says, but by His doing I am in Christ Jesus. How deep and abiding is my joy as a result of this truth. When I meditate upon this truth and flood my mind and my memory with this truth, I will appropriate this means of joyful worship. Since my heart is aflame with the knowledge of who my God is. So the first prerequisite to joyful worship is to know that God is the sovereign creator of His people. The second is, number two, we must know that God is the sovereign redeemer. Verse three, we are His people. Look at the end of verse three, we are His people. We just read of his sovereign power, and here is his sovereign purchase. We are his people, and the reason that we are his people is because we are his possession. And according to Titus chapter 2, verse 14, the reason we are his possession is because of the one who gave himself for us. With the express purpose, it says there in Titus 2, 14, to redeem us and to purchase us from sin. 
And so, as a result of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and His sovereign grace, we are made His possession. He is our Redeemer. While we were slaves to sin, in bondage to every wicked thing, He came and redeemed us from the slave market of sin, having purchased freedom for us by His ransom on the cross. You see, when we actively ensure that we fill our minds and our memories with these great truths, what joy shall fill our hearts? And what joyful worship will follow? Not because it comes from outside of us, but because it comes from within us. And David mentioned that in Psalm 103 when we looked at that last Sunday when he said, all that is within me, praise his holy name. The third prerequisite to live as a joyful worshiper is number three, we must know that God is a sovereign sustainer. That God is sovereign sustainer. Look at the very end of verse three. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. The sheep of His pasture. Here our minds, do they not run to the words of David in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We see here from this verse that we are under the good guidance of the very good shepherd whose great hand is upon us as we go through this journey. He is sustaining us on this journey. He is a sovereign sustainer. Because we are His sheep and because we are in His pasture. And because of that, we follow Him. Knowing that He provides for us. David in Psalm 37 verse 25 says this, I have been young and I have been old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. So, not only are we made alive by his sovereign hand and made people by his sovereign redemption, we see here that we are guided and cared for by the sovereign shepherd who sustains our very souls and our very lives. There is joy abounding. And so, do you have troubles abounding? Do you have sorrows abounding? And in the midst of day by day trials and sorrows, here then are the means of joy. Here is why we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And so, we must flood our minds continually with the truth that, that you were dead. In possession of nothing but a heart of stone and a love for sin. And a sovereign creator made you alive and gave you a new heart. That he created by his doing. And that by his doing you were born again, born from above. 
that without Him you would still be dead and lost. But and trusted in Jesus, you're no longer dead to sin, you're alive and free. What joyous truth! To sing joyfully, to, to come and serve and worship the Lord with gladness. And live out life with joy. And we must continually flood our minds with the truth that, that you and I were once the devil's people, enslaved to sin, but God out of His love sent His own Son to purchase you and I and to redeem you and I from the penalty and the power of sin. I mean, that is the very bedrock of all joy. We have been forgiven of all our sins. And made His people for His possession. Transferred from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. In the midst of pain and heartache, what reason and what means for residing and abiding joy? There is enough in that alone. The fact that we have been forgiven of our sin. There is enough in that alone when fully gripped To ensure a life of joy and joyful worship. I mean, we should literally be outside of ourselves. We literally should be outside of ourselves. That we were on our way to hell for eternity. And only by His love are we placed on this path of eternal life and peace with God. Once your enemy now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. We must also, as we just saw, flood our minds continually with the truth that being His people means we are His sheep in His pasture, no longer wandering lost. We are safe and we are sustained. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. They sustain me. He's my sustainer. He's my shepherd. What joy should fill our hearts? What reason for worship? What motivation for ministry? (laughs) What wind? And our sails once again from the Psalms this summer. So we've seen a call to worship. In verses 1 and 2, we've just looked at the means of joyful worship in verse 3. And now I want you to see, in verses 4 and 5, the expression of joyful worship. The expression of joyful worship. This is what joyful worship looks like. This is what the psalmist gives us now, what it looks like. When we know our God and all that He is. When we flood our minds and our memories with what He's done for us. And it moves from just being a fact that we give mere intellectual assent to. But it becomes something that with intellect we grasp. And then it warms our hearts and warms our minds and then drives our wills. This is what it looks like. The expression of joyful worship. Look at the beginning of verse 4. Enter His gates. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. 
for the Israelite of the old covenant, the entering of the gates was to go into Jerusalem and the entering of the courts was the gathering in the temple to offer worship to God. And by implication, for the new covenant, new covenant believer, that is each and every one of us here that is a believer here this morning, this entering of the courts is the gathering we do here this morning and each and every Sunday morning when we gather together corporately. That is how you express joyful worship. When you are filled with the joy of the Lord because you know the Lord, understand this, you know Him both in a salvific way and in a special, specific way. Meaning that you know Him because you have a saving relationship with Him, but you know Him because you have been in the Word of God and studied the Word of God which reveals who He truly is. And all of that brings you joy. And that then drives you as you live out your desire to be with the saints in corporate worship. In fact, you live immersed in the context of a local church. Using your gifts that you've been given to bless others and to be a blessing to others and be blessed by others. And you do all of that Look at the middle of verse 4. With thanksgiving. And giving thanks. We do it with appreciation. We do it with joy. We do it with the understanding that it is, to, that it is an immense privilege to be the people of God. To be His sheep. And to be in His pasture to worship the one true and living God that is an expression of joy worshiping with thankfulness and gratitude joyful people are worshipers and they worship together not in isolation you can worship the Lord privately you can worship the Lord corporately but the Lord's people never live and move and have their being as a worshipper in isolation. True joy is expressed in coming together. That's the first expression. And surely this does it not by being a blessing to others and being blessed by others? Showing up to church that you might be stirred up to love and good deeds, to live holy. Well, next we see another expression. Look at the end of verse 4. Bless His holy name. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. We come with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We come recalling the abundant ways He has blessed us and it fills us with joy that we express that joy in praise. As worshippers, we should just be flooding our hearts with that which makes us grateful. I mean, surely it grieves the Lord when we 
live the life that He has given us as His people and we're out in His pasture being ungrateful, surely that grieves the Lord. You see, when we see ungrateful attitudes in our children, it grieves us no end and we teach our children, we want to be teaching our children to be grateful. Never want to raise a spoilt kid, right? Well, imagine how grieving it must be when God sees His children living ungrateful lives. We give thanks to God as an expression. We praise Him. We looked at that last week. I see here, by implication, a motivation for evangelism. Out of the joy that fills our heart, you then want to invite others to enter the gates too, right? You want them to experience the same joy and to know the object of all that joy. The one true and living God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. So you tell them because you want them to enter too. The implication there, that's definitely one way of giving thanks that Boyce brought out. But the main idea here is to worship with a joyful and grateful heart, giving thanks, praising His name. I want you to notice that. Give thanks to Him, bless His name. That is His character. His character. And that is now how the psalmist ties it all together and concludes this psalm by teaching about His character. Look at verse 5. Here's His character. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And His faithfulness to all generations. Three realities here of why we should worship and praise God. Number one, He's good. You see it there right in the text. He is good. God is not only the source of all the goodness in our life, He is goodness. Every Blessing flows forth from who He is. Every spiritual blessing, every temporary physical blessing, all flow from Him, for He is good. Psalm 34, verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, that is happy and joyful, is the person who takes refuge in Him. Number two, he is love. He is love. His loving kindness is everlasting. That's that word hesed again. We've spoken about it a few times already this summer. It bursts out of the Psalms because it bursts out of the very essence of who God is. I said last week that the English translators, they don't even know what to do with this word. So they get two words and smash them together and make up a word. That's hesed indescribable, loyal, covenant-keeping, unconditional love. God is love. And notice from verse 5 that there is no end to His love. It is everlasting. Everlasting to those who are His. To those who are His people that are in His pasture, there is an ever-flowing, loyal love that has no end. Number three, God is faithful. His faithfulness to all generations. 
There are a number of generations sitting in this room and every generation can and will testify to the utter faithfulness to God. Great is thy faithfulness. He is unchanging in an ever-changing world. He is immutable. He is immovable. He is the same today as He was back then. The God who was steadfast and faithful in His promises to previous generations will be steadfast and faithful and continue to fulfill those promises to future generations. Amen. He's faithful. And so, contained within this little psalm are very big things. A call to joyful worship. The means of joyful worship. And the expression of joyful worship. And I think the most striking feature of this psalm is that little phrase in the middle of verse 3. It is He who's made us. He made us and not ourselves. And so we are His. We are His. And because of the fact that we are His, no matter what comes our way, whether the bad or the good or the happy or the sad or poverty or prosperity, we can say, whatever my lot, it is well with my soul. I live content because I am His. I live in full appreciation because I am His. Even in the midst of pain and loss and sorrow, which is real, I live with a residing and abiding joy because I am His. It would be remiss of me with these people, the amount of people here before me, to not point out something incredibly startling. That you cannot show appreciation if you have not bowed the knee and received salvation. And so the world just wants to steal your joy. But Jesus came that you might have joy to the fullest. And so if you are within earshot of my voice and you know That you are far away from God because your sin has put you at great gap between you and God. Then you must listen to the words of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who says all that the father gives to me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So come. And find joy. Finally. Joy inexpressible and abounding. When you humble yourself. Whatever your age. And lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we come before you and want to rejoice and we want to be found to be joyfully worshipping you with gladness, coming before you with joyful singing and joyful hearts, knowing that you are our God. And we thank you for the word of God, every word, every line revealing to us your knowledge. You call us to be growing in grace and growing in knowledge. And we grow as we exposit and unfold the truth of the word of God. So we thank you for Psalm 100. Lord, we thank you that it is you who has made us. We are your people. You've placed us in your pasture. And so, Father, we come and we've entered and we do so with thanksgiving. Lord, you are good. You are loving and you are faithful. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.